Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Uh, this is episode 251. Thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, I'm wearing, if you're watching on YouTube, I'm wearing a flannel I've never worn on the show before. It's not a new flannel. I bought it with all the other flannels. I've just never worn it before. Uh, if you're on iTunes, thank you for listening as well. Today's episode is going to be about, we're going to talk about Dak Prescott. I am going to defend Dak Prescott, which is interesting. I know I've been pretty much, I don't know, I don't know if anti-Dak Prescott's the right way to put it, but I've been very much adamant that I would not pay Dak Prescott the massive contract he wants. I'm going to try to look at things from his perspective today. We're going to talk about Michael Jordan's lies, quote-unquote. We'll talk about North Dakota State. We'll talk about uh, Tom Brady did a workout with his teammates on the Buccaneers. And we'll do some Ask Zach questions. That's what I have planned for today. It's a great show. But I want to start with Dak Prescott. Uh, Dak Prescott is the starting quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. And last week I did a topic called Dak's Contract Will Cripple the Cowboys. And I was proud of it. It's really good content. I think it's uh, a well-done topic. And it would be really easy for me to take the new information we've gotten in the last couple days about Dak Prescott and simply go, see, Dak is proving my point. He wants to get paid too much money. And doing so, I think, would be confirmation bias. When I take a step back and try to look at the situation fairly, uh, I, I want to actually, I think before we do that, I want to share what was reported. Here's the thing that was reported that really changed the situation. Here is word for word what Chris Sims said the other day. He said, I know from some people who are in the know that he, being Dak Prescott, has been offered five years, $175 million. He, Dak, wants a four-year deal. They do agree to a big five-year deal. They would like a really big number at the end of that fifth year to cover their butts for what the market might be at the position five years from now. They being Dak Prescott's camp. And I've heard that he's asking for somewhere like north of $45 million in the fifth year. So that's the quote. People took it and ran with it. Uh, People were like, I mean, I got my buddy sent me messages. A lot of my friends were like, "Uh, Dak wants how much? Or Dak wants $45 million a year? That's insane. And a lot of people took it at face value. Oh, Dak wants $45 million a year. And I want to be clear. I stand by everything I've said about Dak previously. I would not give him the massive contract he wants. I think he wants more than he's worth. But all that being said, I think people are overreacting to the most recent news we got out of the Dallas Cowboys and Dak Prescott's negotiation. We got a glimpse of a negotiation. That's what happened. That's what negotiations are. You know, Dak and his side are haggling. Dak will say, I want this much. And he gives an estimate that's probably more than he's worth. And the Cowboys give an offer that's too low. And they go high, they go low, and somewhere they meet in the middle, and that's what the contract will be. So $45 million in that fifth year. I want to defend Dak here because he's repeatedly said multiple times, at least his people have, his representation have come out and said, they want a four-year deal. They don't care about the fifth year. They haven't asked for any money in the fifth year. Now, I could see a situation where, who knows, maybe there was a line thrown out there. Dak said, you know, or his people said, I want a four-year contract. And you know what, if, you want, if the Cowboys want a fifth year, you know what, they got to give me $45 million a year. Maybe that's what was said. And, and I know that $45 million a year for a quarterback sounds absurd. You're like, what? 
But five years from now, maybe not. Maybe five years from now, the, the financial the structure, the financial structure of the league is going to change, and there's going to be a new CBA, there's going to be a bunch of new stuff, and the salary cap's going to go up. And five years from now, with a higher salary cap, for all we know, $45 million for a quarterback could be a deal, could be a really good, cheap deal for a quarterback. We don't know. And if Dak Prescott views himself as an elite quarterback, which I'm sure he does, then I understand why he would want that much money. He wants elite quarterback money because he views himself as an elite quarterback. And then I want you to think about this. I watch Survivor. It's a great TV show. And the reward for winning Survivor is you get a million dollars. Woo! And I think about this all the time when I watch Survivor. A million dollars really isn't that... Like, you're not... If you, win, if you get a million dollars, you're not really set for life. I know you're like, what? How could Zach say that? I'm not saying a million dollars, man. If I get a million dollars tomorrow, my life is so much better. But think about when someone wins Survivor, they get, quote, a million dollars. They really only get like $700,000 because a bunch of that goes to taxes. And then how far does $700,000 go over the course of your lifetime? It doesn't really, you're not set for, if you win Survivor, you're not actually set for life. It's not really enough to take care of your family and you for forever especially if you have little kids. Think about this. Dak Prescott has been severely underpaid the last couple of years. The last four years, he's had an annual salary of $680,000. That's a lot of money for you and me, but for a franchise quarterback, that's insanely, insanely cheap. And you got to remember, Dak Prescott's career is, he's got a limited window to work in his lifetime doing what he does. If he wants to be set for life and not have to work again after football, he's going to have to make a lot more money. I think the Cowboys have gotten a bargain so far with Dak Prescott. I think maybe now they should cut bait. It would not be insane to say that in my opinion. But when you look at Dak Prescott's perspective, his side of things, it makes total sense to me when he says, I want to get set for life. I've been the Dallas Cowboys quarterback. I have made pennies on the dollar compared to what other, like look at what Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers or all these other quarterbacks in the NFL. They've been paid so much money. and Dak has been paid almost nothing the last couple of years in comparison. Again, a lot for you and me, but if I was making, I, I, I have nowhere near this, but let's say I was making $700,000 a year, I could do my career till I'm 80, so I could accrue a lot more money over the course of that time. Dak Prescott is like 10, 12, maybe 15 years to work in his career, and he's, only, he's not done it long. My point is this. He's not set for life right now. He's got some nice wealth, but his career earnings really are not enough for Dak Prescott to be set for life. That's my point here. Because he's not only going to take care of himself, he's going to take care of his family, his brother, other people around him. He wants enough money so that when he's done with football, he doesn't have to worry about himself or his family ever again. And I completely understand that. I feel for Dak Prescott. He's got to pay his agent. He wants to take care of his family, his extended family. And again, he's been the Dallas Cowboys quarterback for a couple of years now. They're starting quarterback. He's won a lot of games. The dude rightfully wants to be paid, and I get it. He's made $2.7 million over the course of the last couple of years. That's not actually that much in the scheme of things. He's not even necessarily set for life if he takes care of his brother and then has kids. And I think, honestly, it's in everyone's best interest if Dak Prescott plays on the franchise tag. Again, in his NFL career, he's made $2.7 million playing football. A lot of money. But think about this. On the franchise tag, next year, he'd make over $33 million for one year. It's a win-win. The Cowboys get a franchise quarterback. They get another year to evaluate him and decide if they want to give him a long-term deal. 
And if Dak Prescott gets $33 million, he is set for life. His family's taken care of. He's got enough money. He can live the rest of his life. If he is smart with his money, takes care of his brother, does this and that. I, I want to be clear. I want to see Dak get paid. I want to see a guy set for life. I think that's a cool story. He's definitely put in his dues. He's earned it. And I want to see Dak Prescott and his family get set for life. I would love to see that. Now, I'm not convinced he's worth $175 million. I don't know about that. But I think the franchise tag, again, is the perfect solution. $33 million for a one-year contract with Dak Prescott. Everybody wins. The Cowboys win. They get a year to evaluate him. And Dak Prescott wins because he gets the money I think he deserves. He gets paid for really the last couple of years. He got grossly underpaid the last couple of years. He'll get paid the money he really deserves, in my opinion. Now, back to my original point. I want to, again, once again, defend Dak. He did not ask for $45 million a year. In fact, he hasn't asked for any money in year five at all. He wants a four-year contract. That's repeatedly been said. Chris Sims said he wants $45 million in year five. Again, he hasn't asked for a five-year contract. He's asked for a four-year contract. And then, okay, Dak views himself as an elite quarterback. So he wants elite quarterback money. Plus, again, he's been massively underpaid the last couple of years. And it's sad, in my opinion, that the Dallas Cowboys couldn't take advantage of the fact that they had a quarterback they were massively underpaying, and at the time they were paying their quarterback less than a million dollars, almost nothing for a franchise quarterback. In that time, they couldn't take advantage and win a Super Bowl and build a better team around him. But I I don't know. I, I really honestly have some empathy for Dak. He wants to get paid, and he deserves to get paid more than he's made. And, you know, Dak... It's interesting because we're hearing about negotiations. We're hearing about, you know, Dak's asking for this ridiculous amount and way up here, and the Cowboys want to give him less way down here. And the reality is they go super high, the Cowboys go super low. Somewhere in the middle is where the two sides are going to meet. We're hearing about negotiations. And so I don't know that I think it's helpful to read into the numbers we're hearing because they're numbers in a negotiation that's ongoing. They're not final numbers. Things are being thrown out there because it's haggling. I go high, they go low. I just don't think we should read so much into the numbers we're hearing and definitely don't overreact. Dak Prescott did not ask for $45 million a year. That's absurd. And I think the fact that people, again, I'm a guy, people call me a Dak hater all the time. I always say, I wouldn't pay Dak Prescott the massive contract he wants. But again, I think people are wrong here. The way it's being reported, $45 million a year, says who? And it's just not true. It's just not true, and I just think it's really weird. If you're going to, you can be mad at Dak Prescott. You can say he's asking for too much, but if you're going to do it, at least base it off of something that's more substantial than what we're hearing because from everything I've heard, he hasn't even asked for a contract in year five. He doesn't want a five-year contract, so I'm ranting now, but I'm a guy that has been called a Dak hater a ton. This is a time where I will defend Dak Prescott. He wants money. He should get paid. I think a franchise tag is a perfect option. I think the way people are kind of slandering and really making fun of Dak right now is not quite appropriate given the, the lack of great reporting we've heard recently. And so I just, I don't know. I think, I, again, I know I, I wouldn't pay Dak the $175 million, that, the number that's being out there, but I give Dak some money. He deserves it. And I, I think I just, I just have empathy here. And I think people are taking a little story and running with it because there's probably nothing else to talk about. Um, but there's a massive overreaction right now happening with Dak Prescott. I feel kind of bad for the Dak Prescott camp because they're getting dragged through the mud, and I don't think they deserve it. Okay, uh, let's talk about The Last Dance. All the episodes of The Last Dance have been released, and after watching the series, a lot of people have come out contradicting Michael Jordan. 
You know, Horace Grant came out, called The Last Dance propaganda. Uh, he said Michael Jordan was lying. The owner of the pizza joint who gave MJ pizza said that MJ was not given pizza that was messed with. A lot of people have said, hey, this documentary is really not quite true. There's a whole bunch of noise right now. And people keep sending me messages saying, The Last Dance is biased. And I go, yeah, yes, yes, it is. I totally agree. The Last Dance is absolutely, completely biased. And it's very clear to me, the series was Michael Jordan's version of events. And so I would take The Last Dance with a grain of salt, but I think you can still enjoy the storytelling. It's a good, it's a well-made series. I think it has very interesting information. Uh, I, yeah, of course it's going to be biased. The crew got access to Michael Jordan. Of course, the camera crew was not going to make Michael Jordan look bad. That's why they were light on the gambling. That's why you see a lot of stuff and you're like, is that really? Like you have questions when you watch the series because there's stuff they don't go all the way into. You know, there's that HBO series called 24-7 College Football. And it's very vanilla. It's kind of boring. And my problem with that series was it's because there's nothing bad or controversial in the series. It's almost like HBO was being very careful, not wanting to make anybody mad, not really wanting to tell the whole story of what they found. Because if you make people look bad, they're not going to ever want to work with you again. And so ESPN, you see this with sports a lot, I guess, really just in the sports world. When a talking head or when a network or whatever is either friends with a player or they have a reason to keep them happy, you often see people with their voices treading lightly. People are very careful. Uh, There are some people who talk about Aaron Rodgers very carefully because they're friends with him and they don't want to make him mad. I really think it's interesting. Here's what's sad to me, though. Beyond all that, Michael Jordan, even though this was his story, what's interesting is he was still afraid of looking bad. He gave that quote uh, where he thought that the last dance was going to make him look like the bad guy. And he said that after watching the series. This was not Michael Jordan's uh, you know, quote before getting filmed. He said after getting filmed, after watching the series himself, he said, uh, I don't know, I think I'm going to look bad. And what tells me is that I think Michael Jordan is kind of haunted by his brokenness. And that's really, really sad because for MJ, having flaws in his opinion isn't okay. I mean, there was literally a marketing campaign that said, we want to be like Mike. That's a real thing. Michael Jordan isn't actually a person. Michael Jordan is this unrealistic idea where it's sad and twisted because the guy with the name Michael Jordan, I think is somewhat of a an inauthentic brand. And that's actually not helpful for him or for anybody else where he can't own, I am not perfect. I'm this larger than life figure, but even Michael Jordan is not perfect. He has flaws. And I believe the world really needs a role model that can own their mistakes and own their brokenness. And the fact that, you know, (laughs) the last dance doesn't really make Michael Jordan sound like a bad guy. They just mention his gambling and even that being mentioned, you know, they mention issues with teammates, even just being mentioned. Michael Jordan doesn't feel comfortable having it said out loud, even if they don't go into it very deep, even if they don't really call him a bad guy. And that's not really a healthy place or a healthy way to live your life. Avoiding criticism, avoiding your flaws is not healthy. That's not good. And so I look at a guy like Ryan Leaf is a former Washington State quarterback, went to the Chargers, number two overall in the NFL draft, was a total and complete bust in the NFL. He's had all kinds of drug issues. He failed in the NFL. There are awful, shameful, embarrassing stories. Like he broke into a house in Montana 
to steal whatever he could to get money for drugs, literally. You're like, oh my gosh, the stuff you hear about Ryan Leaf is horrible. But now he's on TV, he works for ESPN, and he got his life together. And what I love about Ryan Leaf is he owns his mistakes, he owns his flaws, he doesn't pretend to be perfect. He goes, yeah, I am Ryan Leaf, I've screwed up, I've made mistakes. And that's what I love. I love a guy who can admit that they're not perfect. And maybe Mike's gambling was never a problem. Maybe Michael Jordan's gambling was simply not that big of a deal. But that's not the issue here. The issue is that to be in a space where you can't talk about your flaws or you can't talk about any shortcomings you might have and nobody else can either, that's not only unhealthy, it's also really bad because it brings up more questions. People go, okay, if we can't talk about gambling, if we can't talk about this or that, people go, so what isn't being out there? All you do when you avoid conversation about certain topics is you bring more speculation and more questions and when you avoid everything. And so I just, I loved The Last Dance. I think it's great storytelling. Was it entirely true? I don't know that The Last Dance was entirely true. I think it's okay. It's great storytelling. It's a good series. But I want to say, I encourage people, be the kind of guy who can own your shortcomings. You can own your flaws. I think that's so, so important. Don't muffle them. Don't try to... Avoid them or hide your problems. Whether you're building a brand or even if you're just a normal guy, remember that every single human being in our society is flawed and imperfect. If you're on planet Earth, you got problems. You're not perfect. Even the great Michael Jordan is not perfect. And that's okay. It's okay to accept that and recognize that. I think it's incredibly important as a human being. And I don't know that Michael Jordan's actually the best role model for our country and for the sports world because He seems incredibly uncomfortable even having a slight flaw he might have getting mentioned because he's got the burden of carrying this larger-than-life figure, and I just don't know that that's quite right, and I don't think that's quite healthy. Okay, um, let's talk about North Dakota State. There is a football game scheduled for September 5th. It's North Dakota State at Oregon, and I'm not sure that's going to happen because of the state of the world and everything happening And if I was an Oregon Ducks football fan, I'm not sure I'd want that game to happen. Again, the Ducks are a good program, but they just lost their quarterback, Justin Herbert, to the NFL. And on the other side, North Dakota State has a really good quarterback, Trey Lance. But beyond that, North Dakota State is a Division I AA school. They're not Division I. They're the lower level, just below it, of a second tier of Division I. They play a division below FBS level. And North Dakota State has a history of upsetting bigger programs. A couple years ago, they beat number 13, Iowa. Before that, they beat Iowa State. Before that, they beat Kansas State. And even before that, in 2012, North Dakota State embarrassed Colorado State 22-7. to And so there's a big possibility that if Oregon plays NDSU in September, if that game actually happens because of Corona, we don't know, there's a good chance Oregon's going to lose to North Dakota State. And I just want to ask the question, let's take a step back for a minute. Why would anybody ever schedule a game against North Dakota State? You cannot win. There's no benefit to that, even a little bit. If you beat North Dakota State as Oregon, it's not a big deal. You're supposed to beat them. They're a lower level program. There's no benefit to beating them. And if you lose, you look really, really bad and you become another team that will always be mentioned as, oh, another team that the North Dakota State program upset. You can't win. Why would anybody at all schedule North Dakota State? I do not understand. Again, if you lose, it makes you look bad. And if you win, you're supposed to. The risk does not match the reward. They're a good program. They regularly upset big schools. 
And if they win a championship, you know, think about this. North Dakota State wins a championship all the time at their level of football. They've won eight national championships since 2011 with three different coaches. I've never, there's not a team like that in Division I single A. There's not a, an, F, an FCS team like that. Excuse me, FBS team like that. And if I was a big program in college football, I would not at all schedule North Dakota State. There's no benefit. Again, even if you lose, again, even if you win, excuse me, if you win and you beat North Dakota State, it's not a big deal. There's no benefit there. Like, oh, great. You beat a lower level football program. But if you lose, you look really, really bad. The risk does not match the reward. I would never schedule North Dakota State because it's not worth playing them. There's just no benefit that I can find. And it makes no sense to me. Okay, um, so Tom Brady held an informal workout with some of his Buccaneers teammates. There are a couple pictures of it on the Tampa Bay Times website. They went to a local high school. O.J. Howard, Mike Evans, Blaine Gabbert, the backup quarterback, was there. Cameron Brait was there. And number one, I want to say that this is not cheating. Tom Brady's not cheating by throwing with his teammates. A lot of people are going, oh, is this legal? I don't know. According to NFL guidelines, you can work out. As long as you follow the state and local guidelines, Florida says you can gather with 10 or fewer people. And they did that. They're totally within the world. You know, they're illegal in the state of Florida, and they did nothing to break NFL rules. And personally, I love that Tom Brady got his teammates together and did this. It says a lot about his leadership and a lot about his personality. Um, you know, honestly, I'm not sure why other quarterbacks aren't doing this. I don't know why there aren't stories of other football teams like Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Phillip Rivers, why are they not doing this as well? Um, every single level of football has informal workouts. You, you can't have coaches, but players can get together. And, you know, this is messy because you don't want to spread corona. I get that. But in high school and in college football, my teammates and I would get together. We'd do seven on seven. We'd throw routes. This is a regular thing you can do. As long as coaches aren't there, you can do it. And apparently the Buccaneers have been doing this for a while. This is not a one-time thing. It's been happening for a while. And it's really good for the Buccaneers season. You know, the big concern for the Bucs going in was that they got a new quarterback and they're going to have no or a very limited training camp. So the Buccaneers are not going to have the proper amount of time to prepare for their season. And so when I heard this again, I love it. It's dicey. I will admit this is a very dicey thing because I don't want to encourage people to meet up and spread coronavirus. But Brady's the guy who pushes the envelope. You know, all NFL players are out there working out somewhere. I saw a, uh, an Instagram post the other day with Charlie Tomapea, who's a Cowboys tight end, working out with Richard Sherman and DK Metcalf and uh, Josh Gordon. They're in the Seattle area with Joe Green, a quarterback uh, at some college. And then they had Jacob Sermon from University of Washington dropping dimes. And my point is this. Everybody in the NFL is working out somehow with somebody. But it's weird and surprising to me that Brady is the only guy working with his teammates. Why is that? Again, what about Drew Brees? What about Aaron Rodgers? What about Phillip Rivers? It's interesting to me that Tom Brady is the only guy I've seen who was able to organize consistent workouts with his guys and his players. I guess I will give, uh, I saw a video of Ben Roethlisberger throwing to Juju Smith-Schuster. That was great. Um, is it Juju Schuster or Juju Smith-Schuster? Why do I want to say Juju Smith? I have no idea. Uh, but my point is this. And look, I'm not saying I don't know Juju. I just have always called him Juju. I forget his last name. I'm getting a lot of hate for that. I get hate for everything I say. Who cares? But my point is this. It's weird I haven't seen more videos 
and more stories of other teams working out where a quarterback said, hey, get everybody together. I, I, you know, why isn't Aaron Rodgers calling his guys, throwing it to everybody? Why isn't Phillip Rivers saying, hey, let's get everybody together in Indianapolis, go to a local high school. We can't have coaches there, but we can throw and go through our playbook. It's kind of weird. Everyone else is pretty much doing their own thing. And Tom Brady's the one guy in the NFL I've seen who's been able to gather a bunch of his teammates and get together to prepare for the year. That's a good move. It says a lot about Tom Brady's leadership. And I just don't understand why other programs and other football teams aren't doing the same exact thing. Where's Tom? Where is Aaron Rodgers? Where is Drew Brees? Where's Russell Wilson? You know, why, are, why are Seahawks throwing with Jacob Sermon, UW's quarterback? Why can't Russell Wilson throw with his teammates? I don't, it's kind of weird to me. And I just think it's interesting. Again, I don't want to encourage people. This is messy. I don't know that it's good to encourage people to you know, spread coronavirus. I'm not trying to say that, but it is weird that we're not seeing other people do the same thing Tom Brady is doing. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll do some Ask Zach questions, my favorite part of the show. Oh, we'll talk about what do we have? Ah, I'm going to save it. There's some good stuff. We'll talk about LSU. We'll talk about some other stuff in Ask Zach. It's going to be really good. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Uh, It's time for Ask Zach, my favorite part of the show. It's where I answer questions from the audience. If you don't know how to submit a question, the way it works is you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. You can give a dollar a month. If you give more than a dollar, please do. It literally helps pay my rent. But just a simple dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. And if you submit a question, I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. My only guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs, and then I pick the top couple to read on the podcast. Um, but I, I do. I just really want to say I appreciate the people on Patreon, especially at times like these. Uh, the people who support me on Patreon make a huge impact on my life, and I'm so, so grateful. So the first question is from John. John writes in, he says, What is something that you greatly enjoy that you don't share with other people? Um, I'll be honest, there's not a lot. I, you know, I play video games, but mostly all I do is work and hang out with my girlfriend. Uh, there is something I don't talk about very often on Strong Opinion Sports, which is that um, I do have a second YouTube channel. It's called Zach Schaumler, just my personal YouTube channel, Z-A-C-H-H-O-M-L-E-R. Um, I do a podcast called The Flawed Humans Podcast, which is where uh, I sit down. I've done a couple episodes with my dad, done a couple with my girlfriend. There's eight episodes out so far. I'm working on getting it on iTunes. I think the ninth episode right now is being edited by my girlfriend out there. Um, but, you know, my girlfriend helps edits all those videos and podcasts. That way I can do, I can focus on strong opinion sports. She does editing for that stuff. Um, you know, and people don't realize I do three podcasts in total. I do strong opinion sports. I do the Flawed Humans podcast. And then I have a podcast with my stepmom actually named Karen about dating called the Desperately Dating Podcast. So I love podcasting. It's my favorite thing in the world. And I do a lot of content beyond just strong opinion sports, but I don't really share that here. I don't, I think it's kind of weird. You know, people, I don't know if weird's the right way, word, but a lot of people are like, I have a, they have a brand in one sense and they're like, I'm going to use that to prop up my other one. I've just said, you know, I want to make content and I hope it grows and I hope people like it, but I, I try not to bother people. People on strong opinion sports want sports and I don't necessarily try to beat them over the head of the fact that like I do have other podcasts and make other content. Um, I pretty much put all my time into strong opinion sports. It's not that much work to sit down and do a podcast if other people are editing it and putting out the videos. Um, and my other personal channel, Zach Schaumler, is really small. It doesn't even have like 2,000 subscribers. Um, but it's fun. And I just love podcasting. 
Uh, so that's you know something I enjoy. I don't really talk about very much. I guess it's that. Um, I guess there was one other thing. Now that I think about it, uh, I don't. I've never said on the show that I I have pet mice. Like I, I guess I've talked about it on the Flawed Humans podcast, but on Strong Opinion Sports, I've never said I got mice like about a month ago, and I love them. Uh, they're easy. They're small. Like one of my favorite parts of the day is going to go visit their cage and. I give them I give them new water every day, change out their water and pick them up and hold them a little bit. I just I I love mice. It's kind of weird. They've been my favorite pet ever since I was a kid. And it's kind of like the highlight of my day to go over there and say hi to them. So I've never said that on the show, but I do have pet mice. I know it's maybe maybe what you wanted to hear or John, you want to hear what I've never told anybody. That's I really kind of am very public and open about everything I do. My Instagram uh, is very like I literally share everything on my story. So um I don't know. I guess either that I have a second channel, which I've never said, or uh, I have pet mice. Those are two things I've never really talked about that uh, I hope that answers your question in the way that you're happy with. Okay, Landon writes in. He says, what's up, Zach? Got a hypothetical one for you. Who would win? A team full of the Pac-12's best players or LSU? So in a game, head-to-head, the Pac-12's best players, like an all-star team or LSU? Um, LSU would win because they've got more organized coaching. Like an all-Pac-12 team would basically be an all-star team. And people don't realize that one of the tough things about all-star teams, I've played on one before, is that chemistry is hard. Usually you have simplified playbooks and you have guys you're learning chemistry with receivers and yada yada. So like if LSU played an all-star team straight up, LSU would probably win because they're close enough talent-wise and they have more unified coaching, which would be a huge, huge advantage. Now... If you took all the best players in the Pac-12 and they played LSU and imagine coaching was not a roadblock, imagine that there wasn't issues with chemistry and yada yada, uh, if they're all playing on an even field, then the Pac-12 team would win the all-Pac-12 of all the best players in the Pac-12. They would win. But it's not a blowout either. I mean, I want to be clear. I think it'd be interesting. Um, But they'd probably win by three touchdowns maybe. If that's a blowout, maybe to you, sure. Um, But a team of all Pac-12 players, all the best players in the Pac-12 would be a team of, you know, all NFL starters, guys who are going to play in the NFL at some level or some degree. And so a team of all future NFL players versus LSU who has, LSU has a lot of future NFL players, but not entirely made up of NFL players. And so the all Pac-12 team would have more. And so the all Pac-12 team would beat LSU on a level playing field. But it is interesting. And I think the game would be fairly um, competitive, at least early on until maybe the all Pac-12 team's depth would probably take over and say, we have better backups than yours. But LSU would hold their own. I want to be clear. I think it would be a fight. But in the end, the Pac-12 would still definitely beat LSU if all their best players were you know, playing on the game, in one game. Um, I'd love to see a team like, man, like, I don't even know who is the best team in the Pac-12. I have no idea right now because it's all shifting. Oregon lost their quarterback. Um, right now, there's no clear dominant power in the Pac-12, which is kind of sad and interesting. Um, but I'd love to see a team like Oregon or um, Arizona State or even I think Cal's better than people realize play against LSU. I'd love to see how close the Pac-12 is to beating a team like LSU. I have no idea. But definitely a team of all Pac-12 players would beat LSU. Okay, Wood writes in. <laughs> Wood's a funny name. It's like Wood something. If I didn't put his last name in. Uh, I just don't. I know it's silly, but I don't put any last names. Even if they're fake last names, I don't put them in the show. Wood says, hey, Zach. What kind of music do you listen to while you are doing research or watching film for the show? Um, I actually don't listen to anything. 
while I'm preparing the show or watching film, uh, it takes a lot of focus and a lot of, it's really hard mentally to prepare the show or to watch film. I'm taking notes really, really vigorously and yada, yada. So I don't listen to anything while I'm making the podcast. Um, but I do listen to musics or musics. I listen to music or podcasts while I am cleaning or doing menial tasks. Like, I don't know. I, I have pet mice. I clean their mouse cage. Or I'm doing dishes, whatever. Um, I love John Belly and I love Khalid. I love AJR. I love Post Malone. And uh, two of my my two favorite podcasts. I really only listen to two podcasts. I love a podcast called. They're both made by the same guy. There's one called Knockback, where it's a retro nostalgia podcast. They talk about video games or movies. Like they'll do a full episode on Far Cry Three or Interstellar or The Dark Knight. They really dive deep into topics. I love that kind of nerdy stuff. I like the personalities on it. Dagan and Colin. They're both brothers. And then Colin does a podcast called Sacred Symbols with another guy called Chris Raygun. Uh, it's a video game news podcast, similar to Strong Opinion Sports, actually. They are far less uh, – they joke around a lot more than I do. They screw around a lot. Uh, it's not really my style, but uh, the two hosts are very honest and give very uh, straightforward takes, and I appreciate that. So the two podcasts – really the only two podcasts I listen to are – Sacred Symbols or Knockback. They're my two. Uh, Knockback's my favorite show by far, ever, because it's just a deep dive into things I care about, and I can pick and choose what I want to hear. Uh, and then occasionally, I've, like everybody else in the world, I listen to Joe Rogan if I have nothing else to listen to. Like um, yesterday, I'd listened to all my podcasts already. I was with my girlfriend in the car, and we listened to Elon Musk on Joe Rogan. Very interesting, uh, weird. Like his speech pattern is so weird, but that's really what I listen to. John Bellion, AJR, Post Malone. Uh, Khalid is really good. Knockback, the podcast is phenomenal. Sacred Symbols, if you like video games, is really interesting. And then, but they're, again, they're weird. They they make jokes about like all kinds of ridiculous stuff, and you can't take them too seriously when they're making jokes. But they are fun. And then um, Joe Rogan, of course, like everybody else in the world, if you listen to a podcast, you probably at some point heard a Joe Rogan podcast. Uh, the next question is from Andrew. Andrew writes in. He says, "Hey Zach." Do you have any thoughts on the direction of the University of Kansas football program? After one year of having Les Miles as our coach, I tend to like what I see with regards to coaches and recruits. Do you think we have any chance of getting out of the basement of the Big 12 anytime soon? So, you know, Les Miles at Kansas really interests me. Uh, I will, I'll be honest, I have a hard time not comparing Les Miles to Chip Kelly at UCLA. You know, you look at both guys that are trying to turn around a college program that needs help. Um, you know, in one year at Kansas, Les Miles is three and nine, whereas Chip Kelly's been at UCLA for two years. He's gone three and nine and four and eight, both, you know, year one and year two. And I would not want to play for Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly, uh, you know, it feels like he's taking a paycheck. I've talked to people that are there. I know people, I, I really just watching him on the sideline, you go, does Chip Kelly care? Like, does he? I, I was there on the sideline when he played, or uh, what? Te- I can't remember what team it was right now. It's blank in my mind. I was there on the sideline for one of his games, and you're like, does he care? It was very weird. Like, he's very um, body language is bad. It's just very bad. It's it's just very interesting to me. And then what I've heard from people there, it's like, oh, I don't know if I like that. It feels like he's taking a paycheck. Now, Les Miles, it's very very clear when you watch him. He's not just taking a paycheck. He wants to win. He's trying to build a football program. Um, I have no idea of Les Miles, who has won a national championship before as coach of LSU. Um, I have no idea if he can turn around Kansas football, but he wants to win. I'm rooting for him. I'd love to see him do that. I really like him as a person. He seems like a very 
uh, heartfelt guy who cares about his players. And I don't have any wild insight, but I will say I'm excited to watch Kansas develop over the years. And uh, it's a story we're tracking, I guess is the best way to put it. It's a story that we're going to follow and see if it works out. But I'm rooting for Les Miles. I'd love to see him turn around and make Kansas football better. Uh, it'd be interesting and cool. I hope that it's not a stepping stone. I hope he doesn't use... I don't know why Les Miles would. He's a very accomplished coach. Uh, I think he's trying to actually rebuild Kansas rather than you know, go from Kansas to a better program. I'd be surprised if he used it as a stepping stone, but I guess we'll find out and see what happens over time. Okay, the last question is from MWP. He writes in, he says, After the Astros scandal last fall, I haven't been exactly looking forward to the start of the season the new season, I'm not too proud of the organization. Right now, being made fun of, the jeers, etc., I was wondering what your thoughts on fans who are struggling to root for their home team are. So I'm assuming that MWP is an Astros fan. Um, I don't know, man. It's it's difficult. I don't have a favorite team, so I don't know what it's like. You know, I there's a documentary right now about the Mariners people keep telling me to watch. I was a Mariners fan from in, in my early childhood till I was about 13 years old, and then I said, screw it. They're making decisions I don't agree with. The Adam Jones trade for Eric Bedard was where I said, I'm done. I'm no longer a Mariners fan. I've never had a favorite team since then because I realized that as a fan of a team, you really have no agency. You can't decide what your team does. And so my heart got broken over and over and over again as a Mariners fan. So even that documentary, people keep trying to get me to watch it. I just can't because... It just hurts my soul. I don't have any interest. It's like a, it's like watching a documentary about a former ex-girlfriend. I'm like, I don't really care what my ex-girlfriend is doing. It's over, and I'm sad. So I don't really understand fandom as a whole. It's just too painful to me. But I will say that baseball in general just kind of is giving me a bad taste. I just don't – I don't know. Baseball, I guess – I'll say that baseball is an awesome sport. I love the sport of baseball. But Major League Baseball, the league is – I don't know. It's tough for me. You know, the cheating was really bad. The weak punishments made it worse. Uh, and then there's all these old rules where it feels like old guys are like, no, don't touch my baseball. You can't do blah, 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 blah. And they have all these arbitrary, silly rules I don't think are quite right. Um, you know, bat flipping is where they lost me. When a guy hits a home run and does a cool celebration to flip his bat, I love that moment. It's like the best moment in baseball where a guy, he literally like beats, it's like you're, celebrating beating a guy. A pitcher throws a pitch, you hit a home run, and you're like, yeah, I got you, dog. You throw your bat away celebrating. And I don't get why baseball doesn't embrace that. It's a fun, dramatic moment. Um, And why is that not okay? I don't get it. And so Major League Baseball, the league, even though I love the sport of baseball, I grew up playing it. It's a great sport. I love going to games. I go to Portland Pickles games where I live locally. Um, But the MLB is making it harder and harder for me to care and it's frustrating because I love baseball but like even recently with players the, the MLB players refuse to take a pay cut for a shorter season with no fans in the stadium it's like dude there's not going to be enough revenue to pay all of you it's totally unreasonable and it's weird to me that players have chosen to not play at all this year rather than take less money to play a little bit it's like what the heck like you'd rather not play at all than play for less money it's just weird to me so baseball just in general major league baseball excuse me the sport is great the organization has significant problems right now. The league does. And I just have a hard time caring or following or it's just they're really, really not doing a lot of things right, in my opinion. And it makes me upset and makes me kind of jaded and not quite know how to feel. So baseball right now as a whole, Major League Baseball, the sport, has been really tough for me to watch. 
Okay, guys, that's all I have. Um, I want to end the show the same way I end every single podcast on Strong Opinion Sports, which is to say that um, four years ago, my younger brother died. He took his life. He committed suicide, uh, which I know, I guess, you're not supposed to say committed suicide. He took his life, right? It was brutal, and it was hard. And so um, I learned two really painful lessons from that experience. Number one is that if you're struggling, please go get help. Uh, My brother suffered in silence. He never told anybody he was having a hard time. And he took his life. And it was like, it just was completely a shock. It was a total surprise. And I don't recommend it for anybody. It's not a good experience, obviously. Uh, And I just encourage you, if you're struggling, go get help. Go talk to a teacher, a counselor, a professor, somebody. Do not suffer in silence. If you're struggling, go get help. Don't do what my brother did. Go get help. And if you really have no one else you can talk to, you can call the suicide hotline. As a last resort, if there's no one else you can talk to, Call the Suicide Hotline, 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-8255. Now, just as a, a person, I encourage you, be the kind of friend who your friends can come talk to you. You know, my brother never came and talked to me. We worked together. We were very close, and I, I had no idea what was coming. And all of our conversations, we played football together. We played Halo together. We hung out a lot, but all our conversations were very, very surface level about like girls and video games and movies and sports. And we never really dug deeper. And I never asked him questions like, how are you? How's life? What's going on? And so I encourage you, um, make it clear to your friends, the people you care about, your family, that they can come talk to you if they're having a hard time. Tell them that. Give them hugs. Tell them you love them. And just do what you can to be the kind of person where people are comfortable coming to talk to you if they're struggling. Because my brother never came and talked to me. And I, I don't know that he would have anyways, but I just wish I'd done a better job telling him, hey, man, if you want to talk, you can. And I just, uh, I have regret about that. I, I know it's not my fault my brother died. It's, it's something I've really wrestled with. I don't want messages like that. But I encourage you, if you have a brother, if you have a, a sister or anybody in your life you care about, make sure they know how much you love them and that they can come talk to you if they need to. And then if someone is struggling, they come talk to you, then direct them towards professional help. Go get a counselor, whatever. Um, but just be the kind of person that people can open up to and make it clear to people you love how much you love them. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so much. I hope, you know, I, I feel like I'm talking really fast. If I am, I'll listen back and I apologize. Um, I, I am, I'm working on a film analysis video. My, my attention feels a bit divided. I really want to go work on that film analysis video. I'm really excited about it. Uh, I'm not going to tell you who it's about, but I am I'm really pumped. And uh, just know that there's a... A cool video coming very soon on YouTube, and it'll be in the next podcast. So it's coming. I appreciate you guys so much. I love you. But um, bum, bam, we are.